Hello. Hey, good evening, everybody. Hey, uh, welcome to Bay City tonight, and uh, thank you for coming out on this fantastic night to the seminar, and uh, I know you're absolutely going to enjoy it. How many here remember Shane from last year? Fantastic. How many here, that this is your first time you've ever heard Pastor Shane? Oh, well, how many of you guys are in for a fantastic surprise? Man, he is very, very good. So I encourage you to open up your hearts and open up your minds, and uh, I tell you, you're going to be absolutely impacted tonight. Hey, um, just before we, uh, just before I, I welcome Shane, uh, what I, what I do think would be fitting tonight is if we just um, if we could just pray for our, our brothers and sisters up in Auckland and, and whatnot that have uh, just have lost family uh, members of this last couple of days, and uh, I, I think if you're in that position that your heart would be fairly broken too. And uh, the Bible says that we're to bear one another's burdens. So one of the things I think we could do would do just be to stand in prayer and uh, just hold the families before the Lord and, and, and this, uh, in this time. So why don't we all just stand to our feet right now, please? I want to just start to pray on the Holy Ghost for a minute. <laughs> Jesus, Father, right now, Lord, we just hold our brothers and sisters, Father, before you right now. Father, we just, uh, Lord, we pray right now for your presence to come around their lives, Lord Jesus. Father, that your anointing, Father, come upon them right now in Jesus' name. Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are the great comforter. Holy Spirit, we pray right now that your presence would come around those families. Father, that your presence would come around their lives. Lord, they'll have so many questions running through their minds right now. But we pray, Holy Spirit, that your presence, Father, will just come and bring a peace around their hearts in Jesus' name. Lord, we just pray, Father, for the, um, for the principal of the school. Lord, that you'll just give them wisdom on how to handle and how to speak um, and, and, and how, to, how to handle some of the children in the school. Father, we just commit, commit them to you right now. Lord, we just pray right now that your, your hand would just be upon them in Jesus' name. And Father, tonight, we, uh, Lord, we thank you for this awesome opportunity to hear this uh, incredible man of God. And Lord, tonight, we thank you for your incredible mighty power that is at work in each and every one of our lives. Lord Jesus, tonight, we open up our hearts, we open up our minds that you would speak to us. Father, tonight... Let us feel your heartbeat tonight in Jesus' name. Father, we pray that you'd give us the mind of Christ in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Ladies and gentlemen, would you please put your hands together all the way from Charleston, South Carolina, Pastor Shane Willard. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. You can be seated. Thank you very much. I'm... So excited to be here. I love this church. I couldn't wait to come back. And um, actually, I ran into your pastor in LAX. And um, it, like, what are the chances of that? And, um, and I just, I'm so excited to be here. I love your pastor. I love this church. And I can say without hesitation that you have one of the great pastors in the world here. And uh, that's for sure. And um, so uh, I'm, I'm very excited. And, and, and what, what I've decided to do is... is um, on our seminar nights, which is what we're doing tonight and tomorrow night and then next week during the week, I'm going to just give you a steak dinner every night, okay? 
Um, and so I figured that you're here, um, you're, you're, not, you're not here for me to, you know, fruff things up. You're not here for me to, 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 to give you something that you could easily go find. I'm, I'm going to give you something, I'm going to give you some stuff um, that, that will change our lives forever. There's a couple of rules, okay? First of all, we have to be springs and not bricks, okay? So if there's any bricks in the room, um, stay in the room, but leave me alone. <laughs> and, uh, and what I mean by bricks are, are, are people who, who think they've already figured it all out. And um, yeah, and, and so and they've got their theology worked out. And that's it. And, okay, we're not willing to grow. Okay, if you're here and you're, I don't know what you're doing here if you're here like that, but we're going to be springs, okay, which means we can stretch, we can grow, we can expand, we can do all of this stuff. Second thing is we, we've got to be okay being challenged. We've got to be okay being challenged. Let me make one rule about being challenged. I am not the big guy up here who's figured all this out. I'm simply someone on a journey with God, and God's challenging me. So I'm inviting you to join in on this challenge with me because it's miserable being challenged alone. Right? <laughs> Okay, so so if this whole night and the next night and the next, and we're gonna we're gonna tie in the Sundays with it, and I'm gonna tell you next Sunday night, which would be the 27th. Um, next Sunday night, everything will culminate up to that night. And that night, I'll preach the most important message I preach in the whole world that night, and something new God's given me this year. And I've only preached it in a couple places, and both places, major men of God told me that that message will change the way a church thinks. It'll change the whole culture of the church. So we're going to do that next Sunday night, the 27th. And everything we're doing will build up to that. So we got two sessions tonight, and, um, and, and we'll, we'll break between them because no human being should have to bear listening to somebody talk that long. And so we'll, we'll, we'll break in the middle of it and talk about it. But I, wanna, I figured the best thing to do tonight, I'm, I'm changing um, for, the, for the poor man who's doing the audiovisual, I'm changing topics right on the fly. And the main reason for that is because I went to my bag to get my prop out for it, and it's still at the house I'm staying at. I accidentally took it out and left it there. So we're going to, we got plenty of time together though, so we're just going to change right on the fly. I didn't mean to hit you this hard, this fast, but this is what we're going to do. You're going to get hit very hard, very fast, and we're going to be challenged. I want to talk to you tonight about the topic of hell. I want to talk to you about hell. And I, and I want to, I want to challenge us with some major questions I want you to, and there, there's no right or wrong answer to this. It's just where you are, okay? Where have we embraced a cross that saves us and forgives us and heals us? And we're all for that, right? Come on. Like, where have we embraced a cross that saves us, forgives us, and heals us, but we've neglected the cross we've been commanded to pick up every day? Like, where have we been guilty of living a Christianity that's all about getting to heaven someday? versus bringing heaven to earth here. Like where, let me say it this way, where have we wanted mercy for ourselves, but justice for everybody else? Where have we wanted mercy? How many of us, when we stuff something up, we're like, oh God, have mercy. Oh God, have mercy. Oh God, have mercy. But when someone else stuffs up, we're like, God will get them. God. <laughs> Yeah, so we, we love to embrace this cross that saves us and forgives us and heals us. Why do we like to embrace that cross? Why? Because Jesus bore it for us. But, but we, we neglect the cross that Jesus commanded us to pick up, which says things like, don't gossip about people. That's a serious thing. Don't slander. Don't worry. 
Yeah, just let stuff go. It's a glory to overlook offenses versus living offended. Um, like all kinds of things. Like where have we been guilty of embracing this and not embracing this? That actually the main call of God on our life is not to go to heaven one day. Although we're all for that, right? Come on, like heaven, hell, like let's go to heaven, right? And, and like that's real. And, it, and if it's a choice between heaven and hell, like let's go to heaven, okay? And, and if that's all it was, then it's all still a pretty good deal. But it's way bigger than that. In, in, the, in the book of Isaiah chapter 49, I think it's verse 6. It's Isaiah 49, I think verse 6. It says this, so I'm paraphrasing. It says, it is a light thing, for me to forgive you and restore you back to the land. But I'm going to go one step further than that, and I'm going to make you a light to the Gentiles. Isn't that something? It's a light thing. So this is God talking to the nation of Israel, and he says, it is a light thing. It is a light thing. Forgiveness being brought back. How big is that? That's heavy, isn't it? And, and God's saying, compared to the plan I have for you to bring heaven to earth, it's a light thing. It's a light thing. Um, Psalm 115 verse 16 says, the highest heavens belong to God, but the earth he's given to man. The highest heavens belong to God, but the earth he's given to man. Later, he was teaching his disciples how to pray, and he said things like this. When you pray, say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it already is in heaven. The highest heavens belong to God, but the earth he has given to man. In other words, it is not just our responsibility to go to heaven one day. It is our responsibility to bring heaven to earth today. It's our responsibility to bring heaven to earth today. Today we are to bring heaven to earth. Let, uh, let me say it this way. Um, does the girl at KFC know that you're saved even if she messes up your order? Mm. Um, if, someone, if someone cuts you off in traffic, do you point your finger at the sky? <laughs> because they didn't get the memo that where you're going is more important than where they're going. Um, let me say it this way. Um, does your husband, for you wives, does your husband know you're saved even if he leaves a wet towel on the floor? Hmm. This, this, do, do you realize, I'm a counselor by trade. I, I have had, I have had, I've had women in my office who were seriously degrading the intelligence of a man that they would expect to die for them if need be over a wet towel on the floor. I mean, for us men, come on, pick up your towels. But really, if we leave it there, is it that big of a deal? Is it, is it worth... <laughs> <laughs> is, it, is, it worth, is it worth degrading the intelligence and being disrespectful to a man that you would expect to die for you if an intruder came in the house tonight? I mean, come on. Does your husband know you're saved even if he does something stupid? Because we need to know that. Does your wife, for you husbands, does your wife know you're saved even if she disappoints you? Or do you withdraw and not talk for two and three days at a time? So a woman who's supposed to be the love of your life, 
that, that you want to do life with forever, you punish her because she disappointed you and she has no idea what she's done. Does your wife know that you're saved even if she disappoints you? Does, 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 I mean, come on. I mean, are we hitting anybody yet? Like, um, like, like, because here, here's the alternative to that, that we live a life where we're on our way to heaven someday, and there's this someday, 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 the lion and the lamb, someday, no sickness, dying, crying, sadness, someday, there's this someday, someday, someday aspect to salvation, but, but, but the truth is, and see, if we're not careful as Christians, we, we, we paint this picture of salvation as, hey, get saved, and one day you get to die, and it'll all get better, <laughs> And we don't want that. We don't want this church. This church is at 1200 Omahu. Is that how you say that? Omahu Road, 1200 Omahu Road. You don't want to be known throughout Hastings as a group of people at 1200 Omahu Road who are on their way to heaven one day. No, a far better calling would be to be known as a group of people who meet at 1200 Omahu Road who are bringing heaven to earth to everybody they come in contact with now. That, that, that we are to be ministers in this kingdom, in the kingdom of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost, that the kingdom of God is not up and down or this way and that. The kingdom of God is actually in the last place you look for it, which is inside of you. Mm. And we are called to miss that. So I was sitting around with a group of people, and we were brainstorming about how can we bring heaven to earth how can we bring heaven to earth? And, and in this brainstorm, we had all kinds of answers, all the typical Pentecostal answers, you know, like press in, break through, um, pray more, fast more. And all those are right. They're not right or wrong. They're just right. But, but in my infinite creativity, this is what hit me. The, the best way to bring heaven to earth is to avoid hell. So the best way to bring heaven to earth is to stop bringing hell to earth. <laughs> like, if we're going to bring heaven to earth. And so I started doing this study on hell, and I realized that when I just looked at what Jesus said about hell, I had it all wrong. Um, can I share it with you? Yeah. you can, um, and no one's going to get mad at me? But we, we got this, like, because I can't handle that rejection. Um, the... Um, <laughs> Like, like there, there's three different words for hell. There's three different words that translate hell. One of them is fairly irrelevant to us. It, it, it's the word tartaro, tartaro. And, and that word is only used one time in the whole Bible. And that's in First Peter. And, it, and, and tartaro was a Greek mythological word about a place where the Greek gods created to punish disobedient angels. So it was tartaro. Jesus only used two words for hell. He said the word hell 18 times. 18 times. And, and, and there was two different hells. It's two different hells. The, the first hell was called Gehenna. Gehenna. And, and the second hell was called Hades. So, so the first hell was called Gehenna. And the second hell was called Hades. Now, now Hades... Um, was only used by Jesus three times. And this is the hell you really, really, really want to avoid, okay? Hades was the hell in the unseen place. Like it was the hell of the grave. It's the hell you go to after you die. This is the hell that gets thrown into the lake of fire 
in Revelation. It says, and death and Hades gets picked up and thrown into the lake of fire. So this is the one you don't want to go to because this is the one that, that gets, ends up in the lake of fire. Like this is a bad plan and this is in the unseen place. Jesus only used that word three times. He only used the word Hades three times. The first time he says, woe to you, Capernaum. How can you escape the condemnation of Hades? The second time was he had his disciples at a place called Caesarea Philippi. And in Caesarea Philippi, it was the headquarters to the goat god Pan. And in the goat god Pan, they had built a temple to the goat god Pan on top of this mountain, on top of this like rock. And, and, it, and it cracked, the weight of the temple cracked the rock and it went all the way down and it made a hole where the rock and the road met and then it cracked the road. And 24 hours a day, seven days a week, there was steam coming out of this hole and they called it the entrance and exit to Hades. And, and so Pan was a goat god and he received worship through intimate acts with goats. So, so through people being intimate with goats. And so 24 hours a day, seven days a week, there was people on the street around this mountain being intimate with goats. And they were being intimate with goats in order to keep the goat god Pan from opening up the gates of Hades and swallowing them into it because they didn't want to go there. So they would do this all the time. Jesus took these, this group of people there, and he has to refocus his guys. I mean, you can imagine that. He takes them into a city where everybody's being intimate with goats. And he says, hey, Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. He says, that's right. And upon this rock, we can build a church and not even the gates of Hades will prevail against it. In other words, he's standing over the gates of hell saying, this doesn't have any power. You and you and you and you and you and you and you, everybody around here being intimate with goats to keep this from swallowing you up. I am in charge. You don't have to do that anymore. So that was the second time he used the word hell. The third time he used the word hell was there was a rich man who overlooked a poor man, and that guy went to hell. Hades. It's only three times Jesus used it. It's only three times Jesus used it. And in our couple weeks together, we're going to talk about the rich man and Lazarus and what it meant Hebraically because when it's the only time that Jesus uses the word Hades in terms of somebody going there, you, we might need to know what it meant. <laughs> it's pretty important. Now, so, so out of 18 times, Jesus only says Hades three. The other 15 was all Gehenna. Gehenna. Now, now Gehenna was an actual place in Jerusalem. And the origins of Gehenna comes from 2 Chronicles chapter 28. 2 Chronicles chapter 28 verse 3. So, so 2 Chronicles 28 verse 3, let me give you some history there. There's this evil king that takes over the place. And, and he says what we're going to do is we're going to start sacrificing children in the fires of Gehenna. Gehenna just means the valley of Hinnom, Okay. So we'll just call it Gehenna because it's easier to say. So it says this in 2 Chronicles 28.3. It says, and he burned incense in the valley of the sons of Hinnom, Gehenna, and burned his sons in fire according to the abominations of the nations whom Jehovah has cast out before the sons of Israel. So there's this evil king, and he instituted child sacrifices, okay, in a place called Gehenna. Now, don't hold me to this, I, I, but I think, if, if memory serves, you had to sacrifice your firstborn son at the age of 10, 
okay? So the picture is, is you've got very reluctant 10-year-olds being dragged behind their father to be thrown into fire in a place called Gehenna. Now, this goes on for years and years and years and years and years and years. This becomes a way of life until somebody steps in and stops it. And there was a king in 2 Kings um, chapter 23, verse 10. There was a king named Josiah. And Josiah steps in in 2 Kings 23, verse 10. Josiah steps in and he stops all the child sacrifices. Now, why does he do that? Because he was eight. So he becomes king when he's eight, and this isn't going to work out too well for him. So what he does is he, have, he has the sages, he has them search the annals, and he finds out that they actually come from a lineage of people who believed in a God called Jehovah, who wrote a book called Leviticus to teach them how to live. And in the book of Leviticus, it says, it is unlawful for someone to throw their child in fire. So he says, we're going with that. Mm-hmm. This is going to work out better for him. So he takes the army of Israel out to Gehenna, and he rips all the place down. And he says he makes a royal decree. From this day forward, no one, no one will sacrifice their children in the fire of Gehenna ever again. In 2 Kings 23.10, it says, And he defiled Topheth, which is just the place of burning, okay? He defiled the place of burning in the valley of Gehenna so that no man might make his son or daughter pass through the fire of Molech again. So, so this King Josiah comes out and he defiles Gehenna. So for years and years and years and years and years, they've been sacrificing children in a place called Gehenna, and he rips it down. Now, what's the problem with that? What problem are you left with? If you're the king and you go and you defile a place where they've been sacrificing children, what dilemma are you left with? The dilemma is simply this that now the land is worthless. What are you going to do with it? You've been sacrificing children there for, say, 100 years. What are you going to do with that land? Okay, you've made it impossible to sacrifice children there, but now you still have a a piece of land that is spooky. Like, what are you going to do? You're going to build houses on it? Hey, would you like to buy a house? It's poltergeist acres. Yeah, it has this children of the corn feel to it, doesn't it? Like, it's just odd. To, to this day, this place is spooky. It has a spooky feel to it. You wouldn't want to live there. And so what did they do? What do you do with a piece of land that is now worthless because of a sin that you guys have committed? What do you do with it? They made it the town garbage dump. So what they did is, is everybody in Jerusalem took their garbage to Gehenna. And so to keep the smell of the garbage out of the city, they had to keep the fire going. So they'd keep the fire going all the time to keep the smell of the garbage inside Gehenna instead of outside Gehenna. There's this constant smell of hot garbage going on. And and so they'd keep it there. So it was a place of, of fire. It was also a place of crying. Because anybody who could not afford a tomb, they would have their funeral at Gehenna. So so if you couldn't afford a tomb, your loved ones would take your body and they would throw it into the fire of Gehenna to burn you up there because you couldn't afford a tomb to be properly buried. So all the time in Gehenna, garbage was being burned up and there was people standing around crying because they had to throw their loved ones on the fire. Also, when you had a big open garbage heap like that, all the stray animals from the area would come around and they'd scavenge for food. 
So you had animals, foxes and wolves and all kinds of things. You'd have them scavenging for food everywhere and they'd be fighting and they'd bite each other and they'd be barking. And, and, and so the people in Jerusalem called Gehenna the place where the fire doesn't die and there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. So anytime Jesus used the phrase, the place where the fire doesn't die and there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, or if he used the word Gehenna, no one thought that's where we go when we die. Everyone thought that's the town garbage dump. That's the town garbage dump. Now remember, if we're just, all of us have our, I had, I'll just, I won't speak for you. I had this whole belief system built around hell. And, and what is hell? Hell was a place that people go when they die. Who goes there when they die? Not us. It's always somebody else is going to hell in the future for something they're doing now. That's how we think about hell. And we use phrases like that all the time. Oh, I hope they get that straight because they could go to hell for that one day. Hell's always about you will go to hell for something you're doing. That's how we talk about hell. But as I looked at what Jesus said about hell, he never used it that way. He only used the word Hades three times. So in terms of like somebody going to hell one day, he never, he only used it that way three times. And Two of them are euphemisms. Only one time was he talking about, hey, there was a rich man and he overlooked a poor man and that guy went to hell. And consequently, like, isn't it shocking that the only place Jesus talks about someone going to hell, I mean, out of all the sins he faced, he met someone caught in the act of adultery. He let her go. He met a lady who'd been divorced five times and was shacked up with the sixth one. He offered her a drink of water. He lets the thief on the cross into heaven. Like the people who killed him, he's like, yeah, forgive them too. Like Jesus was like murder, greed. Like we're talking about all kinds of things. Murder, thieving, um, uh, um, you know, dishonest business practices, divorce, uh, adultery, fornicating, like all kinds of things like this. Jesus was just kind. And he's like, hey, can I help you? Like, can, can we get this straight? But he said there was a rich man who overlooked a poor man and that guy went to hell. Kind of, that's kind of telling, isn't it? I mean, like the people who put nails in his hands, he's like, yeah, forgive them. For, forgive them too. And you say, yeah, but Shane, they didn't know what they were doing. Listen, isn't the sin of all mankind, we don't know what we're doing? Like if we knew what we were doing, we wouldn't be where we are. Isn't that true? Like, come on, anybody besides me fall in love in high school? Did you fall in love in high school? Come on. Come on, there's too many hormones not to fall in love in high school. Everybody falls in love in high school, right? Now, and what happens? You fall in love in high school, and what happens to that? 99, 999 times out of 1,000, what happens? You break up. And has anybody besides me ever been brokenhearted in high school? Or am I the only one? Is this like therapy, and you're my <laughs> counselor, right? Right? We, we get all brokenhearted because of high school. And, and, and is anybody, like, we, we love God and, and, and we, we get all brokenhearted in high school and we're like, why God, why God, why God? Oh, God, I love them so much. Like, I'm a counselor by trade. This is in my office all the time. I'm telling you, I'm not the only one. And, um, and, and so we do that. And, and so, so, so you're all like, why God, why God, why God? And then you go to, like, um, your 20-year reunion 
and you walk into your 20-year reunion and you're like, thank you, thank you, God, thank you, God. <laughs> There's this Garth Brooks song that says, and I thank God for unanswered prayer. <laughs> yeah. How many of you thank God for unanswered prayer sometimes? Yeah, like, like you think you know what you want, but you don't. Like God was, Jesus was kind to all these people. And he only used the word Hades three times. And that, the one time was with a person. It was a poor man. There's a rich man who overlooked a poor man. The rest of the time he ever said the word hell was this word Gehenna, the town garbage dump. And, and I found a couple of things. And I'm fixing to, to read you all the times Jesus said Gehenna. I'm going to read them all to you. Right? I took out all the, I took out all the repeats. And I'm going to tell you every single time Jesus said the word hell. And then let's see if they line up. There's a couple of observations before we do. Number one, every time Jesus said the word hell, he was talking to followers of Christ. <laughs> when we say the word hell, we're always talking about them, those people, not us. When Jesus said the word hell, 100% of the time, he was talking to people who were followers of God. Um, n number two, um, that there is a sense that hell is one day in the future, but 15 out of 18 times, that's somewhere around 87%. 87% of every time Jesus said hell, he was talking about now. So in other words, we or I'll, I'll, I'll be honest with myself, I had always made hell about somebody else in the future. But Jesus makes hell about me today. Mm. That, that, that hell to Jesus was a present reality with future implications. Gehenna. It was the place where the fire doesn't die and there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. It was the town garbage dump. So, so with that as the backdrop, let, let's look at what Jesus said. I'm a, I, I'm gonna, I, I, somebody might be able to go find more references, but I took out all the repeats, and this is every single time Jesus said hell, okay? We'll start in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 and 22. All right, so this is the first mention of hell. Gehenna. Hades, something else. This is Gehenna. So it says this, you have heard it said, do not kill and whoever shall kill will be liable for judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. And whoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be liable to the Sanhedrin. But whoever should say, you fool, will be liable to be thrown into the fire of Gehenna. Hmm. Now, now, what sort of things do we say that people might go to hell for. We like the big sins. Oh, did you hear what he did with her? I hope they get that straight, or you could go to hell for that. Oh, did you hear about that? Did you hear about this? Do you know what they're sticking in their arm? Do you, did you know what happened with those two people? Do you know what he did to that group of, do you, that's how we talk about hell. And Jesus is mentioning hell for the first time and he says, how's the anger in your heart? Let, let's not talk about them. Let's not talk about the people not like us who like to blow themselves up. 
Let's leave that to God. Let's not talk about them. Let's talk about your anger problem. When's the last time you called someone an idiot? Let's talk about that. Let's talk about your tendency to be critical and judgmental when people don't do things exactly the way you think they should be done. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about your self-righteousness, in other words. Let's talk about your anger problem, and and let's talk about your self-righteousness. Let's talk about your tendency to be critical when your husband leaves a wet towel on the floor. (laughs) When's the last time you called someone an idiot when they made a, a, a weird traffic move? And so inside your car with the windows up, you scream, you idiot, as if they can hear you. So really, who's the one with the intelligence problem? (laughs) Remember that that anger, I I think I said this last year, but it bears repeating. Anger is not an emotion you can afford to have. You you lose 25% of your IQ when you get angry, which would make you retarded. Yes. Most people can't afford that. And, and if you're here tonight and you're married and you get in an argument and, and both of you get angry, you've got two mentally retarded people trying to solve a problem. Uh-huh. A, a, a lot of stupid... Has anybody in here ever said something you regretted when you were angry? Come on, all of us, right? Anybody in here ever... ever you remember anything you've said smart when you're angry? Not hard, you know, it's like hardly none of us... Why? Because you don't even have the capacity to think. Any man, don't, don't raise your hand, any man in here ever put your flesh and bone fist into a brick wall or something? Anger, Jesus is saying, you want to talk about hell? Let's talk about hell. Let's talk about hell. You want to talk about hell? Let's, talk, let's not talk about hell then. That's easy to talk about. That's going to take care of itself with the blood of Jesus Christ, that kind of stuff. Let's not talk about that. Let's talk about you today. Let's talk about the anger in your heart and why that's keeping you from being a minister of the kingdom power. Let's talk about about your tendency to be judgmental and critical and self-righteous and call someone else a fool just because they don't do things the way you think they should be done, as if you've cornered the market on truth. Let's talk about that because that is putting your life in the garbage dump. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and can we just agree? Because every one of us, let me just stop everybody right now, because every one of us are sitting here going, uh, and some of us are going, man, I wish such and so was here to hear this. <laughs> that, that, that hell is never about such and so. Hell is about you and, and your heart attitude. And my question to you tonight is this, is are you bringing heaven to earth or are you bringing Gehenna. Are you bringing heaven to where there's Gehenna or are you perpetuating the Gehenna by perpetuating an anger problem or a self-righteous critical attitude? Jesus makes hell a whole lot more challenging for us. Okay, so that's the first mention of hell. Um, The second second mention of hell is um, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 26. Once again, I've taken out repeats, okay? Because he would have said this also in Mark and Luke. But I just took out the repeats, okay? Matthew chapter 10, verse 26. He says, therefore, do not fear them. 
Therefore, do not fear them. What was going on? Who was ruling the world at this time? The, the Romans. And the Romans, I'm going to talk about this later, but the Romans, they had this thing where they could just come in your house and they would tell everybody to get their coins out. So everybody would have to get their coins out. So everybody, take, everybody would take out a coin. And, and, and on the coin, it would say, Caesar is Lord. Caesar is Lord. Now, you're a good Jew. Who is Lord? Jehovah. And there's no God but Jehovah. And so these big Roman soldiers with big spears and swords and shields and armor, they'd come in your house and they'd say, get out your coin. And you'd get out your coin. And, and they'd say, can you say that? And, and if you would say that, they would make you a slave. And if you would not say that, they had five men outside nailing a cross into the ground to put you on in front of your neighbors. There was one Roman general named Varus who went into a town called Sepphoris in 14 AD. So in 14 AD, this Roman general named Varus went into a town called Sepphoris. And this entire town of Sepphoris decided we're not going to say what's on the coin. We're not going to do that. So Varus decided to make an example of them, and he crucified 2,000 people in one day at one time. That was in 14 AD. Who was 14 years old in 14 AD? Jesus. Where did Jesus grow up? Nazareth. Sepphoris is only about 800 meters from Nazareth. So Jesus, when he was 14 years old, would have heard the screamings of 2,000 people being crucified in a day. And Jesus says, do not fear them. Do not fear them. Um, it says, do not fear them, for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, and nothing hidden which shall not be known. What I tell you in darkness, speak in the light, and what you hear, proclaim it from the housetops. And do not fear those who can kill the body, but are not able to kill your soul, but rather fear him who can destroy both body and soul in Gehenna. In other words, you want to talk about hell? Let's talk about hell on earth. Let's talk about your anger problem. Let's talk about your self-righteous critical attitude. And let's talk about your tendency to fear men instead of fearing God. That is Gehenna. That is Gehenna. The, the, the next time he mentions hell is in Matthew chapter 18. There's quite a lot about Gehenna in Matthew 18. We'll just go through it. It says this in Matthew 18 verse 1. It says that that hour the disciples came to him saying, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Verse 2 says, and Jesus said um, a little child to him and set him in their midst. And he said, truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever shall humble himself like this little child, this one is greater in the kingdom of heaven. It's always about humility, not thinking you're better than other people. Jesus was very hard on people who thought they were better than other people. Matter of fact, I don't know where this is in reference, but I can find it. You'll recognize it. Jesus, um, there's this one place where Jesus goes into a village in Galilee, and these group of people from this village in Galilee come up to him, and they say, um, Rabbi, are only a few people going to be saved? And Jesus is, gets mad at them. And I thought, why would Jesus get mad at them? Until I realized that in that region in Galilee, there were a bunch of strict Orthodox Jews. And they thought that they were the only ones going to be saved because they were the ones keeping the Torah the best. They actually called themselves the elect. The elect. Like the true bride of Christ or something. And so they, Jesus shows up and he says, they say, hey, are only a few going to be saved? Have you ever been asked a question by someone who wanted to know the answer? Yes. That's vastly different. than Have you ever been asked a question by someone who already knew the answer and they just want you to agree with them? 
totally different. He says, he says hey, they said, hey, are only a few going to be saved? And, and, and Jesus says, just the nature, I'm paraphrasing, he goes, just the nature of your question tells me you're not. And he says, at my marriage table, many will come from the north, the east, the south, and the west, but you who actually think you're in will actually be shut out. Why? Because they thought they were better than other people. They thought they were then, they were in, and everybody else was out. Can we find ourselves in that story anywhere? Mm -hmm. Pride. He, he keeps going. Matthew, in verse 5, he says, And whoever shall receive one such little child in my name receives me. Matthew, verse 6, he says, But whoever shall offend one of these little ones who believes in me. It would be better for him that a donkey's millstone were hung around his neck and he'd be cast into the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of offenses, for it is necessary that offense comes. But woe to that man by whom the offense comes. So if your hand or your foot causes you to offend somebody else, cut it off and throw it from you. It is better for you to enter into life lame or maimed rather than have two hands or two feet and be cast into Gehenna. In other words, living in such a way that it doesn't matter if what I'm doing offends you, you have to deal with it. It's my freedom. I have the right to how, act however I want to act, and if it offends you, too bad for you. Jesus says that heart attitude, your life will end up in the garbage heap. So in other words, to Jesus, Gehenna was all about my anger problem, my tendency to be angry, my tendency to think my way is the best way, my tendency to fear man instead of fear God, my tendency to be proud, and my tendency to offend people. That's what Gehenna was about to him. Um, we can keep going. And if your eye offends you, pluck it out and throw it from you. So he says two different stories. He says, if your hands or feet offend you, do that. Oh, and also, if your eye offends you or if your eye causes you to offend, throw it away from you. This is not a statement about looking at sinful things. You can make a case for that a lot of other places. To, for a first century Hebrew rabbi to say, if your eye is offensive, it meant if you were greedy. To have an eye full of light meant to be generous. To have an eye full of darkness meant to be greedy. So to have an eye that blesses meant to be generous. To have an eye that offends meant to be greedy. It meant the word was yetzer hara or yetzer tov. Yetzer hara meant the eye of evil. Yetzer tov meant the eye of light. It meant the way you look at things, that the way you look at things actually leads people to completion or it unravels completion and greed unravels completion. So Jesus says, if your eye is offensive, cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes and be cast into the fire of Gehenna. And, and just to be fair to the message, because I said I would give you every instance Jesus said, Gehenna, let me give you two more. Matthew 23, verse 13. 23, verse 13. It says, but woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for you neither go in nor do you allow those entering to go in. Verse 14, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses and then pray at length as pretense. In other words, you come to church, you raise your hands, you shout, you sing, you go through all the motions, but when you walk out, you would take a widow's home right out from underneath her because of your greed. 
Hmm. Therefore, you will receive the greater condemnation. Woe to you, you scribes and Pharisees, for you compass land and sea to make one convert. And then when he is made, you make him twice the child of Gehenna that you are. Gehenna. The only other instance he says Gehenna is in Matthew 23, verse 33. Same chapter, just way at the bottom. He kind of summarizes it by saying, you serpents, you offspring of vipers, how can you escape the condemnation of Gehenna? That is every single time Jesus ever said Gehenna. Every time Jesus said hell was right there. We just talked about every time. You are now complete theologians on Jesus' theology of hell. And let me ask you a question. Did you find other people in there or did you find yourself? Hmm. Is hell more about them then or is it about us now. So my first question, may as well go off with a bang. My first question as we start this whole series of meetings is this, are you committed as a child of God not to just go to heaven one day? Are you committed to bringing heaven to earth now, to bringing heaven instead of Gehenna today? You say, how can I do that? Well, we can start by dying to our anger problem. Quit being retarded. It's just not worth it. The book of James says this, that anger never, ever leads to righteousness. So if something will never lead you to righteousness, we may as well just die to it. The problem with anger is it's one of the few sins that the Bible does give us one out with. The Bible says, do not even associate with one easily angered. It says all these horrible things about angry people. And then there's this one scripture that says that it's possible to be angry and not sin. So then what people have done through the ages is this, is anytime they're angry, they think it's righteous anger. Why? Because we always think we're right. <laughs> I, I was in an argument one time with my English professor and she encouraged banter. So I wasn't being disrespectful. She just encouraged it. And I backed her into a corner. She had nothing else to say. And so she yelled in front of the whole class, Shane Willard, you always think you're right. To which I said, when's the last time you actually said something you thought was wrong? And she sent me to the principal's office. <laughs> the truth is, is that we always think we're right. I mean, what is righteous anger? All righteous anger is, is being angry at the things God would be angered at, which is poverty, injustice, oppression, slavery, things like this. It's not a wet towel on the floor. It's not the girl at KFC messed up your order. That's not righteous anger. So how can we bring heaven to earth? We can die to our anger. We, we can die to our critical, judgmental, self-righteous spirit that thinks it's okay to call other people fools if they don't do things the way we think they should be done. Uh, uh, we can develop a fear of God instead of a fear of man. We can develop humility. We can be generous. We can be forgiving. Uh, just one last thing before we close the session out. Um, the Hebrew people 
It was all about their smell. They wanted to smell good before God. Like you see this all through the Bible. Let our voices rise like incense. Let it be a sweet perfume. Let our praises fill the temple. Um, it was always about fragrance. And that like, in other words, to a Hebrew person, they wanted God to smell, that God was constantly smelling their life. And they wanted God to smell their life and go, ah. They didn't want God to smell their life and go, what did you eat last night? <laughs> like, did you go heavy on the baked beans and boiled eggs or what? Like, they didn't want that. They wanted God to smell their life. To, to the point where there was this festival called the Feast of Tabernacles. It was the last feast of the year. And on the last day of the last feast of the year, at exactly three in the afternoon, everybody in the whole nation would break incense at one time. So at one time, they'd just break incense. And the smell would fill. The, can you imagine? You're talking about millions of people breaking incense at one time. And the priest would say out loud, my God, at this very moment, would you smell our lives as it smells right now, regardless of what we've done? And, and what the, the rabbi said was at 3 o'clock in the afternoon on the Feast of Tabernacles was the greatest moment of faith for the entire year for the Hebrew people because everybody believed that their life smelled good before God and they could approach him. It was all about smell. So when Jesus talks about Gehenna, this is what he's saying. If you're constantly offended and you can't forgive people, then your life actually smells like hot garbage. If you set yourself up as better than other people, your life smells like hot garbage. If you're so set in your ways that you ruin another person's journey, your life smells like hot garbage. If you pray for pretense and yet you overlook deeper issues like kindness and generosity, then your life smells like hot garbage. If you live a life of fear of the wrong things, in other words, if you're a man pleaser, a worry wart, a person consumed with fear, it's hot garbage. If you're greedy, it's hot garbage. If you are the most important person in your world, it is hot garbage. I challenge us tonight, first session, may as well just get all the bad stuff out the way. Everything else from here on out is good. <laughs> but we may as well get all the hell out the way, right? Like, get the hell out the way, right? All right? That's what we're doing right now. We're getting the hell out the way, all right? We're going to do that right now by just, I bless you and I challenge you with these thoughts that you are called not just to go to heaven one day. You are called to be a minister of the power of the kingdom of God to everyone you come into contact with today starting with the girl at KFC, starting with your husband, starting with your wife, starting with your children, starting tomorrow with the guy at work that you wish God would just go ahead and take to heaven. That guy, you, <laughs> you are called to be a minister of the kingdom power that we're talking about. And the only way to do that is to come to an awareness inside yourself that we make a decision tonight. I will bring heaven to earth and not hell. People say to me all the time, Shane, how can I be a minister of power? How can I be a minister of power? Well, I don't, I don't know how to get miracles. I don't know how to pray for miracles. I don't know how a leg can grow out. I don't know how to do all this stuff. Listen, sometimes the greatest miracle is someone who was angry and now they're peaceful. 
(laughs) that you can bring a miracle of kingdom power to your home tonight by being calm. You could bring a miracle of kingdom power to your home tonight by being peaceful. You could bring a miracle of kingdom power to your office tomorrow by ministering forgiveness, kindness, generosity, and peace instead of anger, contention, criticism, judgmentalness, and self-righteousness that we can be a minister of kingdom power with just what is in our grasp to do starting tonight. I bless you tonight to know that God believes in you more than you believe in him. I bless you tonight to know that you're called to be a minister of kingdom power, and it starts with making a decision to avoid hell and bring heaven. So where, where tonight, tonight, where can you bring heaven to Gehenna? Where can you bring heaven to Gehenna? It's easy to see the faults in others, but how are you being the light of the world? Just a couple questions and application. How are you being the light of the world tonight? Where can you bring heaven to Gehenna? Number two, what is ruling your life right now that smells like hot garbage? Jesus said, Jesus only said six things would send your life to Gehenna. If you're paying attention, there was only six things. And it's not the things that we think it is. It's the things we overlook. It's the small things. What's ruling your life right now that smells like Gehenna? My last question before we break is this. Will you make a decision tonight to journey with us over the next two weeks to learn how to be a minister of the kingdom of God no matter what it takes? I promise you, it'll change our life forever if we get our head around what Jesus said about Gehenna and avoid it at all cost. Lord, as we take a break now, would you send us away with your blessing. Would you refresh our minds? That's a lot. Would you refresh our minds over the next 15 minutes and bring us back in hungry for more of your word? We love your word. Amen. Amen. We're going to take a 15. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> How many people enjoy that? <laughs> Come on, let's give uh, Pastor Shane a big hand. Uh, I don't really know what